Want to do better? Then it's time to change the story. Welcome to our show about new visions currently transforming the world through the confluence of art, tech, and innovation. And now your hosts, Michael Ashley and Neil Sahota. Hey, welcome to another episode of Changing the Story. Hey, I'm really excited to announce today's guest, Jay Connor, the founder and CEO of Learning Ovations. He is uh, working with parents, teachers, school administrators to help improve learning outcomes through his platform A to I, Assessment to Instructions. So I can't wait to learn more about his story, but I will tell you, I've never met someone more excited and passionate about education than Jay. So welcome. Well, thank you, Neil. It's just great to be here with you. So Jay, as a visionary, what is the story that you want to bring to the world? I think the story I want to bring is the fact that we underexpect what our children can accomplish in education. As Neil said, I'm passionate about expectation education. And in the United States, fully a third of our children across the board aren't reading at grade level when they finish third grade. And that's a huge problem because the entire education at the end of third grade transitions to kids knowing how to read and then using that reading to learn. And if children aren't able to read, they just get further and further behind. And children in need, children in high need populations across the country are likely that 50% of them can't read. And we know that there's tremendous negative impacts of that all the way from you know, early dropout rates to uh, criminal justice involvement, to just really not being able to achieve the kind of economic results for their families that they would aspire to. And so to me, that's the change of the story that I wanna make sure that we talk about. Absolutely, so because this show is also really about systemic change, uh, I'm very curious. I think that many Americans would be surprised to know the statistics that you just mentioned. It's, it's stunning. From a, from a systemic point of view, how did we get here? I mean, America is the richest country in the world. We like to think of ourselves as pioneers, innovators. We brought freedom to the world. How is it possible that we have these numbers when it comes to literacy? I think the dilemma with literacy, and it's been that way for over uh, 25 years, the, it's called the NAEP, which is the National Report Card. It's a test that's done every two years for third graders, end of third grade across the country. And we have been failing in this regard since the middle 70s. And that's when the test took place. So we don't actually know how far back our inability to accomplish this goes. But at least the testing that goes back to the 70s quantifies the fact. And we've hardly moved one way or the other. And a matter of fact, the uh, most recent test, which was done last year, the results actually degraded. We actually weren't achieving as much as we were two years prior to that. Wow. And so I think, Michael, in, in some ways, the way to answer the, the why is to, to kind of look at how we're thinking about education and how we're thinking about children in that early space, that K to three space, kindergarten to third grade, is that I think what we're trying to accomplish has been clouded by a lot of philosophical arguments, not really having a way of quantifying what the outcome is, and then fragmenting the way that we've gone about trying to respond to it. So this is not something that you have a malicious player, somebody that's trying to make sure that kids don't read. 
It really is, is in many ways, the adults are in the way of what we now, after years and years of research, have found what kids are capable of doing. Mm -hmm. Brain science, as recently as just within the last five years, has demonstrated very clearly to settled science, if you will, that we should be expecting 90 to 95% of all of our children to be able to read at grade level. And so what I'm looking at, the changing of the story, is that gap, mm -hmm. especially that gap with high need children that only 50% are graduating third grade able to read. And brain science says we should be expecting 90 to 95%. How do you account for that? And then how do you address that? Look, I, I think we all always say at least that reading is important and we have to be good at it, but hey, there's a lot of distractions, you got technology, and it seems like less and less people like to read. I mean, what do we do about that? Because it sounds like it's not just, hey, okay, we'll just have our kids read more to solve this problem. It sounds like we actually need to do something a lot more around, around this problem to try and, and help the kids. Yeah. And part of that, Neil, is if you just go back to, you know, when you know your childhood memories, for example, you probably have a fairly clear childhood memory of learning how to ride a bike because that happened six, seven years of age when we're still as adults able to remember that. But when you're learning how to read, it actually starts when you're four years old and five years old. And a lot of adult memories don't go back that far. So from an adult standpoint, we think about reading at the end of the journey. Oh, I remember when I picked up that first book. I remember when I was reading that. What we need to understand is that children actually have several building blocks that interrelate, that work together to be able to break the code. How do you understand that this letter or these couple letters makes this sound? These sounds make this word. That's something that most of us just take for granted, whereas young children need to be supported by either adults or teachers in the classroom in terms of how to do that. And so a lot of times it's not the distractions that we have to worry about. It's the fact that we really haven't supported the children in terms of being engaged with reading. Most of the reasons why children say we don't like reading or I'm not doing reading is because we didn't really support them in terms of being engaged with reading. So how do we get there and in terms of engaging these children and also due to the crisis that we're all living through right now, how can we continue to do that in an educational world that's been very much disrupted these past few months? Well, let me go with the second one first and then I'll, uh, by that way, I'll answer the first part of the question is that the education world that has been disrupted is in many ways, how do we best support those children within the classroom? And so we've thought about education within the context of, of the classroom. And I think what we're seeing in the context of COVID is that there's a full range of educational opportunities. Children are learning in all different environments. They're learning in a home, they're learning in summer camps, they're learning in pre-K environments. And so what we've been able to do is connect what a child needs to be able to make that next step in terms of reading capabilities, reading efficiently to wherever they are. So we recently re uh, released at the request of the US Department of Education, My Home Literacy Coach, 
And so that's a tool that comes from the A to I research that allows parents in the home to be able to give the same kind of supports that we're helping teachers do in the classroom. We're also working in terms of a summer program and we're working with our teacher partners in terms of if they're working on distance learning, how can they give that information that they're aware of in the classroom through the technology that we support that and then transmit that to the home. The secret in many ways, and this goes back to the first part of your question, Michael, is each child has a different set of skills. And so our job as the adult, the, the parent, the caregiver, or the teacher is understanding what the child's skill sets are and then what the child needs to develop in terms of additional skills to be a successful reader. And so it starts with understanding the child's needs and then being able to understand that that's an iterative process. A child needs to know how to break the code and then needs to know how to read for understanding. And so that process is something that is stair-stepped, is that once they break a code in terms of understanding letters, then they begin to read Pat the Bunny, understand that. Then they take the next stair step up in terms of now, how do I put two or three pair, uh, um, uh, suffixes or uh, syllables together to make a longer word? So it really is that stair step function. And so when we know where the child's skills are, we can then match in terms of the type of instruction and the amount of that instruction to get them to be really successful readers. In our schools, we're matching that brain science. We're matching irrespective of high need kids or kids reading you know, very successfully of over 90% of the children reading and averaging the fifth grade reading rate. That's, that's fantastic. And, you know, you alluded to A to I, it sounds like this is how A to I really works. You're constantly assessing the student and providing the instructions on how they can leap to the next level. Exactly. You know, Neil, I, I think to, to some extent we lose sight of the fact. And, and the reason why I frame this as a teacher support system is that this is really complex stuff. There was a really good paper written in the early uh, 2000s called Teaching Reading is Rocket Science. And I think we as adults lose sight of that. Yeah. As we think about reading as, well, wait a second, I've been talking. Talking came very naturally to me. My child started talking on their own when they were you know, a year or so of age. What's the big deal about reading? Well, the human animal has been talking well over a million years. We just really introduced reading as a concept, writing just slightly before that within the last 50,000 years. So it's a learned behavior. And that's what our job is, is how do we support children to learn this behavior? And it really is a stair-step function. And our technology introduces to the teacher the recommendations of, given where this child is right now, this is what would be most helpful to propel them forward. So a teacher could have a child in a first grade classroom, that child might not even know their letters. So what you wanna work with them is understanding breaking the code. What do the letters mean? Another child in that very same classroom could be reading Harry Potter at home. Now you don't wanna spend time teaching him his letters. You wanna have him independently reading the next volume of Harry Potter or whatever the next you know, uh, story series might be. And so that's meeting the children where they are 
And so how that all children can advance is by individually for individualizing for each one. So when you say that, um, what, what comes to mind right now is that in this big country that we live in, there is a, a huge disparity in terms of income. And obviously children who have the opportunity to go to a private school uh, have, have a leg up over their peers. How do we begin to introduce what you're saying to help all children knowing that there is a huge wealth gap in this country? Two, two pieces. One is I'm going to start with the wealth gap in terms of children. people just because they have a lot of money aren't necessarily supporting their children to be as successful readers as they could be. Sure. Is that in many ways, if you can individualize for a child to meet them where they are, it doesn't matter whether they're coming from, you know, uh, a very high, uh, you know, uh, economic neighborhood or another is that you're able to meet them and propel them forward. That's how we're able to average that fifth grade reading rate. Uh, the other piece of it though, Michael, and I think this is what propels me the most. When you say, why do we need to change the story? Mm -hmm. Is because it's the net result of not teaching kids to read is we are starting the achievement gap at the end of third grade. Yep. If we are sending 50% of our children in high need environments, in environments of children of color, into fourth grade, not being able to take advantage of the fourth grade opportunities, there's one of two things that are going to happen in fourth grade. Either they're going to get further and further behind, or as devastatingly, the fourth grade is going to start looking like third grade. And then fifth grade is going to start looking like third grade or maybe fourth grade. So what that does is you create a, a, a ongoing decrease of opportunity, an ongoing decrease of knowledge of the world, a lack of ability to introduce STEM, a lack of expectations in terms of graduation. So this isn't about more money. It actually is less expensive. We actually reduce district overhead costs by having all children read versus the cost that we're having by the failure. 20% of a district's budget right now focuses on remediation and trying to make up for the failure of not getting children to read. Imagine if I was able, especially when we're talking about this post-COVID environment, that I could deliver 20% of your budget back to you, and all you have to do is basically do the things that you're charged to do, and that's having all children to read. So there is a lower cost of all children reading than there is the cost of failure that we've already accepted and built into our budgets. So this, this is crazy powerful, just to put it out, you know, you're helping kids read, you're helping them be able to learn STEM education, hopefully get great jobs, you're lowering the cost of education so schools can do more with the same amount of money. I, I got to imagine it's not challenge free. What are some of the things that you're like, encountering as you you know, bring this to fruition. And Neil, you know, I think, you know, when you're dealing with adult behavior, it's always about, you know, how do you focus with that change behavior? How do you support that change behavior? Because in many ways, this is not about the adults in that child's life, not wanting that child to have the absolute best. But in many ways, we've not supported them. We've not given the tools to be able to leverage the adult's time in the most powerful way to benefit the child. 
And so that really is what those 13 years of research that we did is to understand what was existing about the system right now that tended to repeat the Groundhog Day of, you know, every year after every year after every year, a third of our kids aren't reading. So we needed to understand that. And then we needed to understand how do we support and build that change of practice? And in many ways, that's the, the kind of core insight in terms of the research is making it as easy as possible for the adults to make that pivot in terms of, oh, it's not about the children's ability. It really is about my ability to, de to deliver the nutrients at the right moment in time for that child to be successful. And that's what we use technology for. This would not have been possible, Neil, and you and I have had conversations about artificial intelligence, about how to be able to think about doing things that were never achievable before. In many ways, that's what the core of the A to I technology was, is how to take all of what uh, technology allows us to do kind of in the background and deliver the results of that to the teacher, where without that technology, we're asking teachers to teach kids with kindergarten skills and fourth grade reading skills all in the same classroom. It's impossible. And giving them a textbook that is only available to the kids with first grade needs. So we're limiting their choices. We're limiting historically what teachers had to rely on. And what we have done is let's break that open and let's use technology to deliver those supports that actually allow the teacher to do what they're dying to do. And that's to be with the student and practice the art of teaching. So this again is not about teachers not being good. It's about being so consumed by all of the moving parts, all of the fragmentations, all of the bad props that we've given them in the past. We've demonstrated, Neil, in, in our research right now, that there is no silver bullet. You know, district after district after district has invested in new curriculum or new assessments or new protocols. For us, there is no silver bullet. We have across all of our school districts over eight highly evidence-based curriculum. There is not a difference between curriculum A and curriculum B in terms of outcomes. The difference is what the teachers do with that curriculum. And that's what we support them. That's what we make it easier for them to do, to use the tools they have in such a way that drives the results as opposed to fills the block. Well, based on what you're saying, it, it really does sound like you're already, you are changing the story when it comes to education. And as a person who has his finger on the pulse of, of education and what's going on, what do you see the future of education like uh, this summer, this fall, this next few years? What does this look like? Because uh, I think, as first of all, as a parent, I'm thinking about it. Um, what can you tell parents? What can you tell educators that you're seeing? Yeah, I would, I would say, Michael, is we've changed the fact that we know we can achieve this goal. We haven't changed it to the point of a movement that all of the adults involved know that we can do that. So that's where our heavy lifting is. It's no longer what do the teachers or the students need. It really is how do we make sure that this becomes a movement? kind of like the, the mothers against drunk driving or the stopping the smoking and that kind of stuff. It has to get up to that level of changing the story. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we might've written the chapter, but the book is still out there for the other uh, adults to pick it up and move it forward. 
specifically in terms of the short term, you know, how do you deal with COVID? How do you deal post COVID? Is I think this is a wonderful opportunity for folks to re-ask the question, what is the best way to do this? For example, Governor Cuomo uh, last uh, week, when he was talking about, are the schools gonna come back this spring? Or even the schools gonna come back this fall? He talked about distance learning. And he talked about the thoughts of distance learning. Maybe there's things that we could do in a much better way than spending all of this money on bricks and mortar. Mm-hmm. We have uh, Dallas that right now is thinking about when they bring their children back in the fall, they're saying, wait a second, we need to have social distance, but we need to have all the children in the, uh, in the school that actually need that, thrive on that teacher by student interaction. And so Dallas is actually looking to not worry about the children in fourth and fifth grade. They can do distance learning very well. But those K-3 kids, kindergarten through third grade, they need the adults there. So what Dallas is doing is making their campuses all K-3. So now all of the adults are focusing on this. To me, put that together with A to I, put that together with what we're talking about, and you can see transformation. You know, we're talking change in three years. Most people, when you talk about educational change, you're talking about intergenerational. I'm talking about three years from now, any school district, any school, any state could have all of their children reading at grade level or above. So this isn't something that we have to sit back and say, oh, let's hope that this gets in place. Dallas, this next year, if they're going to focus their campuses on K-3, three years from now, Every single one of their child, 90 plus percent, could be reading at grade level. Dallas as a whole, if you looked at their entire population, is below the national average. So right now, you're maybe only talking about 45% of their children being able to read at grade level. So think about that transformative change, but it's only been possible then as Dallas is thinking about how do they respond to COVID? Let's think about our campuses in a different way. Let's think about our resources in a different way. That to me, Michael, is what is exciting about a moment in time. This is a pivot point. And what I'm hoping for and why I'm having conversations about changing the story is let's use that pivot point knowing that we can expect and children can deliver far more in terms of achieving grade level results. Mm-hmm. I, I can't wait for that, Jay. I, I honestly can't. I, you know, as uh, you know, Michael and I are both professors, and we know some of the challenges involved, even at the university level. But I, you know, I'm gonna I kind of throw it out to you ten years from now, right? Because we're still, in some regards, using 19th century teaching practices. We always talk about, you know, personalized learning. I think you're hitting on something very big, but like the student experience, the you know, the teacher experience. Ten years from now, what do you think that'll be like? What do you think will actually be? Well, my, my vision, my hope, my whole mission in life from this point forward is 10 years from now, we're looking at all of our children having gotten to fourth grade and then getting fourth grade materials, getting to fifth grade and starting STEM classes and that kind of stuff. So that then I'm looking at those that third grade reading cohort is transforming education grade by grade by grade as it moves forward. So 10 years from now, that cohort is going to be in high school, right? And so as it moves forward, 
then I see that cohort is changing. You mentioned, you know, you and Michael, and I am as well, a professor that, you know, is working with graduate students. Just think of the power that we can release when we have 50% of our kids having gone through STEM, when we have all of our children really thinking about the opportunities that are ahead of them, as opposed to the detriments that they're dealing with. And so that to me is where that picture comes out is we're talking about using that cohort of all children reading at grade level of moving through the entire system. So in less than a generation, what our entire educational fabric is going to look like is going to be transformed profoundly. But the challenge is, is we've got to get that cohort moving. We got to start with a K-1, moving to K-2, to K-3, to get all of those children reading at grade level. And then, you know, I hate to, I won't zero you out, Neil, but you're going to be running real hard just to keep up with those guys. Hey, I look forward to that day, Jay. <laughs> well, that's awesome, Jay. And it does sound like you're really changing hearts and minds with, with your approach, with your vision, and, and you by changing the story. So if other people want to get involved, if they want to know more, if they want to uh, connect with you, how do they do so? Well, I can go through all of the, the channels. The, the first one that I'll do is the, the website learningovations.com. And then you can go to our, our Twitter handle, which is LO uh, individualize, and then at learning ovations. Uh, and so I think in many ways, the last point that I want to leave, Michael, is mm -hmm. why ovations? Why learning ovations? Where did the ovations come from? And where it came from in many ways is we think about education. I think about it as a conductor in front of an orchestra. And with that orchestra, you have a whole range of skills and wonderful diversity of talents that are there. And the job of that teacher is how to resonate and bring out all of those individual talents. And when that symphony is successful, you give the conductor the ovation. And that is exactly what we're trying to do, is make sure that all of those teachers in their position, that they get the ovations that they deserve because their orchestra is making transcendental music. I love it. Awesome. That's wonderful. Well, thank you for being on our show today. We really appreciate your time. This sounds great. Well, you guys are doing great stuff. And changing the story is something that we all need to focus on because that is really what we have in front of us is the ability to change these major stories. Absolutely. Absolutely. We all have the power. We got to remember that. Well, thank you again. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Appreciate it. Hey, if you like today's show, please remember to hit the like button and leave a comment. If you've been enjoying the Changing the Story podcast series, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you.